in reality, if you don't learn how to do these things as you become an adult, your life's going to be very uncomfortable. So as a parent, you don't want to, you want to protect your kids from harm, but you do not want to protect them from discomfort because discomfort is how they grow. Welcome to the Parenting ADHD Podcast, where I share insights and strategies on raising kids with ADHD straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, ADHD-aholic, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. Today, my guest is Kimball Lewis, the CEO of Empowering Parents. And I'm really excited today to be talking about empowering kids to handle life's basic problems. And there are some reasons why our kids might struggle with this and what we can do to really help them to get to that place where they're able to interact with the world at large and and be a really successful adult. Thanks for being here, Kimball, and sharing some of your time and wisdom. Will you start by introducing yourself, let everybody know who you are and what you do? Sure. Thanks, Penny. First of all, it's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And um, so I'm Kimball Lewis. I'm the CEO of EmpoweringParents.com. And we're a website who um, offers help to parents who are struggling with um, issues of, of severe defiance and backtalk. And uh, basically, people find us when they do a Google search where they're just constantly arguing and fighting with their kids, where they have their kids have... Um, you know, motivation problems or other stuff. They're just parenting's not fun for them anymore. And their kids are not usually kids are hitting about adolescence age. That's more most typical. Mm-hmm. And things are just not going well anymore. And parenting's not fun anymore. And it's a constant battle. So that's how they find us from Google and our, our websites, empoweringparents.com. And the basis of all the work we do is a child behavior program called the Total Transformation, which was developed by a guy named James Lehman. After about 30 years of practice working with defiant kids, mostly in group home settings, mm-hmm. um, but he put a program together for um, in his private practice. He'd send it home for parents to give them some of the tools that that he used in group homes to deal with like severe defiance. Like, what do you do when you're, you know, dealing with back talk and and defiance? Like, how did like what do you actually do in those situations? So it was kind of a how to guide, and he put the program together in the late 2000s, and it became really popular. Uh, and then in 2010, he suddenly dropped dead. So he passed away mm-hmm. right at his height of popularity. And the program and, and everything sort of um, floundered for a few years. And then about six years ago, I picked it up and uh, put everything online. It used to be you know, DVDs and CDs and books back in those days. Mm-hmm. Put everything online, and it's kind of having a resurgence. Because um, his idea is, you know, he, it's too bad he, had, he left us when he did because he was becoming really, really popular and his ideas are great. So, so that's what I've been yeah. doing for the last six years is trying to, you know, take his, I'm evangelizing his, um, his approach to dealing with defiance and, and a lot of things that, that parents deal with, especially as kids reach adolescence. And then, and now actually through early twenties, our biggest huge number of our customers are coming with adult kids living at home and they can't get them out of the house <laughs> and they're not ready to leave the house because they don't have life skills yet. Right. Yeah, this generation is very different. I my kids are 18 and almost 22 and it's so different from when I was that age. You know, I was desperate for um independence. I got my driver's license as soon as I was old enough and you know, I went off to college as soon as I could and and I just really craved that independence and a lot of these kids in this generation 
just don't. They're not motivated in the same ways, I guess, some of them. You know, my kids could care less about driving and 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 they're also introverts, but it's really interesting to me how different it is. It's, it's so funny you say that because when I, like, I remember the day I turned 16, like I went and got my driver's license. Yeah. It's a huge deal. And half of my, I have, I have a 19 year old and a 17 year old now and half their friends like don't have their licenses and they don't even yeah. care. I don't get it. Like, don't you guys don't want to like take the car and go like, why? We don't need to go anywhere. <laughs> so Yeah. It's wild. You know, my daughter's in college. She has lots of college friends who don't drive. It boggles my mind. <laughs> is it Uber or is it like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's different. And and you don't have to leave your house to communicate with your friends. Mm-hmm. Electronics and everything else. Yeah, you don't have to go see them or find them or, you know, yeah, it's totally different. It's not like, all bad. It's just weird when you see it. Like, wow, they don't really care about their driver's license. That was such a huge deal. Yeah. And so how do we, you know, prepare them for life outside of our houses when it's not such a big motivation for them anymore? Um, and I think that's a, a good place maybe to start is how do we how do we first figure out why? Why are they struggling with that sort of thing? What sort of life skills are they missing? And then how do we how do we help them develop that? How do we foster and nurture that in them as they're growing up? Yeah. So we've always counseled that you need to be like intentional about these things. Like it just doesn't, it just doesn't always happen on its own. Like you have to sort of plan these things. So um, that article that um, uh, we talked about, about the five life, five tips to help your child make it in the real world. Um, early on, uh, you know, recommend having your kids do tasks around the house that you otherwise might not think that they could or would do. So I don't know, we made our kids start doing their laundry pretty early on. Um mm-hmm. And I don't know, the washing machine has a lot of buttons, but you know what it is? I, I watched my kids play video games and their games, I play their games with them sometimes and they're complicated. They're really complicated. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, if they can do this, they can run a washing machine and a dishwasher. Like there's a, there's a lot that they're really, really capable of doing. Absolutely. And, and so um, always looking for places to give them responsibilities. I, I had one thing in the article about like when my kids were 12, I had them in a, Maybe it was 13. I forget. I'm going to get in trouble if I say if it's too young. But you know, we, go, we, found a, we found a parking lot where they could drive the car. And I figure if they, can, if they can do what they can do on their electronics, they can operate a car. That's far, it's much easier. Mm-hmm. Much easier to drive. So we find empty lots and, and just give them responsibilities that actually make them nervous a little bit. Because um, I think we underestimate their abilities. Yeah. And we so, protect them. And we protect them. I, was, I forget what it is. But like in Alaska, the driving age is like 13 or 14. Because there's so many wow. kids that have to like work and do other stuff up there, and, and mm-hmm. so I, I think we underestimate our our kids' abilities. Um, but there's another side of that coin, which is that we don't trust them either. We don't trust their judgment, mm-hmm. and some of that comes down to why a lot of parents are coming to our site is because they've sort of you know very often they've accountability has been lost in many places, and it's not new to this generation. It's happened in other generations too. I think it's just sure. a common thing with kids, you know. So you don't trust them, but. I like to start early. I think you should start early with your kids on on giving them responsibilities because they're actually probably safer to give a teach a twelve year old how to drive than a seventeen year old, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. They're not as crazy. <laughs> yeah, they're a little more yeah dialed in. I think yeah. So and and I think the point that you made about giving kids responsibilities or tasks that offer a little anxiety to them is really important because if we're always protecting them they're not 
gaining that sense that they can handle things that are hard or uncomfortable or anxiety provoking. And for kids with ADHD, that's an even bigger problem I see with a lot of kids is they're avoiders. Like I call my son the serial avoider. He (laughs) will avoid everything automatically. If it's something new or something he doesn't know what to expect, that wall goes up, you know? And so we've been working on sort of challenging a little bit, not enough to shut him down, but enough to grow and nurture that ability to sit with discomfort, to try things that you're unsure about, you know, and and that's really important. And if we're not doing that, when they leave our house, they don't know how to do anything on their own. Like, yeah. my daughter was constantly texting me from college. Laundry was one of them. I don't know how to work this machine. And she sends me a photo <laughs> at like 9 a.m. the first Sunday yeah. she's at school. And I'm like, wait a minute. And granted, the machine was very complicated. It was different than what we had at home. And, you know, she had done her own laundry. and But it, it was just like... I was her automatic. It wasn't even Google. It was me. And it was because I hadn't started early enough with really giving them responsibilities and not protecting so much. You know, I was definitely a really protective parent when when I went too far with that. They don't learn how so, to so do that, So that's, that's where this becomes art rather than science. Because at that right. point, when she asks you, do you help her? Or do you go, you know what? It's time for you to figure this out on your own. Mm-hmm. I feel very confident you can do it. You look at it. You know, you might have to look, study it. If it takes you half an hour, you know, that might be normal. Just, you know, but, you know, there's this whole thing around anxiety. Like anxiety prevents a lot of people from doing things. And I think we forget as adults that almost everything we did as a kid was anxious, like, because it was all new. Mm -hmm. And the anxiety actually prevents people from doing stuff when what what they need to do is practice doing things despite their anxiety. Because I I grew up with anxiety. I still have anxiety. I do too. I've been doing a bunch of podcasts recently, but I was telling my son, like, you know, the first few that I did, I was like anxious about it. I felt like I was, I mean, it was silly. I'm like, I'm like 50 and I'm like nervous about talking about some stuff because it's, it was a new, you know, it's kind of a new thing, right? Right. I'm sure you were nervous the first time you ever did a podcast interview. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but you work, but you've been nervous doing other things in your life along the way. And you're used to that feeling and you know that after you do it a few times, you're going to settle down. It's going to be fine. You're going to get better at it. Um, but for our kids, this is often the first time that they're facing that anxiety. And they don't know if the anxiety is normal or not normal. They might think there's something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Um, That's so like, like my son, and it's actually in the article, or a version of it's in the article, um, made my son get a job. Like I'm like, you got to get a job. You're spending too much time not doing anything at home. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, but he was only 16 and there's a McDonald's down the street. I go, I go, it would be perfect to take, it's like five minutes away. Just go work at McDonald's. You know, it's actually, it's probably fun. Like, and that's the perfect, you know, first job. It was my first job. Oh, did you actually work at McDonald's? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's kind of cliche, but it's like awesome. It's like, yeah. Yeah. McDonald's I had job. friends there. We had a blast. Yeah. yeah. Great. And, and the hardest thing for him was, and we don't, and we forget this, but the hardest thing for him was to walk in there and talk to a complete stranger and say, and not even know what words to say and say something really mm-hmm. goofy, like, um, uh, uh, kind of a job. Like, you don't even, they don't even know what to say. So you have to coach them a little bit and realize the reason they're not doing it is because they're actually scared to go talk to that stranger who's an adult. Exactly. And getting your kids used to putting themselves out there. And they actually kind of humble themselves because they feel dopey doing it. And they are a little dopey because they're doing it for the first time and they're a little goofy. But you have to 
to tell them that's normal. And the way that you build esteem is by doing hard things and doing things that make you feel bad about yourself initially, but then you do it and you get through it and you survive it. And, or maybe you don't survive it the first time, but you try to, you try it again. And then that's sort of how you build your confidence. So I kept telling them, you're not going to be confident. You don't build up your confidence and then go talk to the guy at McDonald's. So you don't know. You go talk to the guy at McDonald's so you don't know. You go through the, the pain of it, and then you build your confidence up afterwards because it probably turns out okay, you know? Yeah, and neuroscience shows that the more we experience the things we fear and they're okay, they go okay, the more our brain realizes that we can do them and the less it triggers our anxiety. Like physiologically, doing the things that we fear and having success with them makes us less anxious yeah. going forward in those things. Like one thing for me was public speaking. I've been terrified my whole life. I have some pretty intense anxiety, especially social anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so I just avoided it. Like I wanted to be a communications major in college, but I had to take a public speaking class. So I didn't make, like I really avoided. And then, you know, as I've done this work with parents and um, started being invited to speak. I forced myself to accept public speaking gigs that were larger that I knew would feel like I was going to die. <laughs> but I did them <laughs> because I knew it would help me get over that hump. Yeah. And it did. It totally did. And I am so much better for it. And yeah. so, yeah, just pushing our kids again enough to challenge them without sort of sending them into a tailspin. But I think. If we don't, then how are they ever going to put themselves out there? How are they going to get a job? How are they going to, you know, maybe make new friends even in different situations as an adult? You know, and we just is, have to prepare them. Yeah, and that's that's the big, um, you know, in our in our parenting advice that we give on our site. A lot of it's around the consequences and other stuff, and, and not letting inappropriate behavior be of a benefit to the child. Like so a lot of kids like right. will behave inappropriately and they actually get out of that thing that they don't want to do. Mm -hmm. Or or they put up enough of a fight about doing their chores that the next time it's time to do a chore, the parent says to themselves, you know what? It, I'll just do it myself. It'll be way easier than having another fight. And so there's a lot of it's around that, but a lot of it is around coaching kids through doing things that are uncomfortable for them. Mm -hmm. um, and this is what we call it sort of emotional solving problem, which is the Kids are starting to deal with sort of complex emotions, particularly around anxiety. And are you, do you have a psychology background or what? I do not. No. So, so there's a concept Sociology. called. Okay. So there's a lot of therapists have are trained in what's called cognitive behavior therapy. Yep. Which is all around like thinking errors and stuff. And one of the thinking errors in cognitive behavior therapy is called emotional reasoning. And it goes something like this. It says, because I feel bad about this, there must be something wrong with it. So, so in the case of like anxiety and kids dealing with anxiety in new situations, they say to themselves, because I feel anxious about it, I must be doing the wrong thing. There must yeah. be something not right about going to McDonald's and applying for that job. It's, it's not the right thing for me because I feel anxious. Like their anxiety becomes evidence that, that something's not right rather than it's, it's a thinking error that they're just anxious because it's something new. And you kind of have to explain that because I, I, my kids, I've seen them go through anxious moments and stuff. And it's like, no, it's going to be fine. And even if it's not fine, it's not a big deal. You just go through it. You'll settle down. And then you'll know, you know, in a few months whether it's not the right thing or not. But, but don't let it stop you just because you're, you're anxious at the beginning. They need coaching through that. That's really mm -hmm. the coaching role that, you know, we encourage parents to try to coach their kids through it. But then you get a job at McDonald's and it's like, it's actually very awkward to go in and talk to 
the manager to ask for a job at first. And then when you get the job, it's very awkward to talk to customers for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember that. Actually, my poor, my poor son, oh my God, like anyone who ever makes fun of a McDonald's job, like they should, they should do what my son did, which was, which was, he worked at, it was a very busy McDonald's. Day one, he walked in, he didn't really have any training. They didn't train him. Oh, no. They put a headset on him and they put him in the drive-thru mm-hmm. and they tried to coach him through it because they didn't have time to train him and they were really busy. Okay, and so I picked him up four hours later. His eyes were wide. It was the most stressful thing he'd ever been through. <laughs> he was like, I oh my bet. God. And I'm thinking to myself, I go, I go, I can't imagine if someone put me on a, a headset on me and had me work the drive-thru on day one at McDonald's. Like, it's not yeah. simple. I mean, that job, there's so much multitasking that has to happen when they put you in the drive-thru. Like I was the queen of drive through They always stuck me there because I, I could be efficient with it. But there's a lot of people who that's just too much at one time. And, I, and so, you know, the other thing too, I think, is guiding our kids to figuring out what is a good fit for them, especially kids with ADHD. You know, there are some challenges. And something like working the drive through in, in a fast food restaurant is really taxing to your working memory, which is often a struggle for people with ADHD. And so, we have to, I think, help them too to navigate which sort of jobs would be a better fit, maybe, or you know, trying things and being able to say, okay, this really doesn't work for me. This is not my strength, and that's okay too. But you don't know yeah. that till you try it. That's the thing. You exactly. know what I mean? Because because yeah. there are some things that that are that are my thing that I was anxious about at first, and you yeah. would have missed out if you let it if you let that you know if my parents had let that hold me back or weren't pushing me. You know. Mm-hmm. And in the right environment, those challenges like executive functioning, working memory and stuff, they're able to handle them better because their brain is is more engaged. You know, if it's something they're really interested in, then those weaknesses aren't as big of a deal. You know, your public speaking is interesting because if you public speak enough and you and you told someone that this is not my thing, I'm like deathly afraid of public speaking, they wouldn't be like, wow, that's really weird because you're a good public speaker. And because they don't really know what's going on inside, <laughs> you know what I mean. Exactly. Like they, and I have the same thing. I, I, from like early on, I never had a problem speaking. Like, I, if whether it's fifty or a thousand people, I don't have any problem. Like, I don't really have any fear. It's not like I'm necessarily good at it, but I don't have any fear. I'll do, go ahead and talk to to a huge crowd. It doesn't. I don't get anxious about that. But if you send me to a cocktail party where I don't know anyone, like without, if my mm-hmm. wife's not there as my sidekick, I have social anxiety going to you know social situations, yeah. like a small. Like I get socially anxious about those things, but you would never know it because I've I've learned over the years how to overcome it, and I've gotten much better at it. Yeah, and you and learn to manage. A, yeah, and you learn like small talk a little better, and you just kind of learn to like pretend to be comfortable, and and then eventually you get comfortable. But it's not natural to me. Yeah, and my wife mm-hmm. on the other hand is perfectly fine in that situation, but she does not like to public speak. <laughs> right, she's small so. group. she's great with complete strangers and in small groups or you know she had to go to some event where she doesn't know anyone and she just has to mingle and get to know people she's fine with that and that's like for me that's that's um scary so scary just when you said it i got a pit in my stomach like that's my that's my biggest struggle going somewhere where i don't know anyone we don't know anyone yeah what if and then you're thinking like what if they don't like me what if they Mm -hmm. all that judgment comes in but i have you know as i've gotten older especially in the years past 40 i don't care as much <laughs> it's yeah that's really a thing helpful yeah. to the anxiety but yeah we were we were just talking today like my son's anxious about he's going off to college and he's uh he's not like scared of college or anything but he's just just change makes 
creates anxiety for him. Like, yeah. like a lot of things are changing and he's sort of like his childhood's over and he's a sensitive child and he's anxious about it. And he's like, and he reminds me of me because I had the same issues. And uh, he's is this still bother you, dad? I go, yeah, a little bit, but I go, but you build calluses over time. Yeah. Like you build these emotional calluses where if you've done it enough, it's still there. But, you know, like if you haven't played golf in a while or done something where you get blisters, like you just know the blisters will go away and you'll get calluses because it's happened, you know, dozens and dozens of times and you don't worry about it as much. But, but these are the first time the kids are going through it. Yeah. And it's, it's a struggle to get them to take that step, to put themselves out there, to maybe fail. Um, it's so hard to get them to, to be that courageous and vulnerable, I guess. And I'm just wondering, like, how do parents motivate their kids to be willing to try something that might be uncomfortable or anxiety provoking? You know, we can't force our kids to do things, especially when they're teens or young adults even. And so what do we do to show them that they can get through it, to get them to take that step? Well, a lot of it is, you know, there's this sort of coaching and other and sort of teach them about the process, but sometimes that's not enough. And uh, we've taken the approach. We actually recommend this: that if the alternative is they're not doing anything, you need to make doing nothing really uncomfortable for your child. Right? Do you know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. for my child, not getting a job was going to be very uncomfortable for him. There were there were going to be consequences if he didn't get a job. Right. So, so the alternative, which is not doing anything, is becomes very uncomfortable. And in, and in reality, if you don't learn how to do these things as you become an adult. Your life's going to be very uncomfortable. So, as a parent, you don't want to you want to protect your kids from harm, but you do not want to protect them from discomfort because discomfort is how they grow. Exactly. Um, doing hard things is how you you know doing things that are that are esteemable are how you build esteem, and not doing easy stuff. Mm-hmm. And you stumble and fall. You know, we didn't learn how to walk by not falling. You know, kids fell, and we used to put bumpers on the furniture so they don't smash their head on the corner of a table. But, but um. They have to fall. So, but yeah, but sheltering your child from the comfort or not making it uncomfortable for doing nothing. Like doing nothing has to be uncomfortable if they're not getting out there and, and sort of meeting responsibilities or, or trying. So, so it's a combination of coaching, but also making the thing that they shouldn't ought to be doing <laughs> not particularly comfortable. That's desirable. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is, because it will be uncomfortable later on in life. If you haven't figured that out and you're in your, you know, when you're in your mid twenties, it gets, it gets a lot harder. Yeah, I mean, really, you know, it's so interesting that being a protective parent, we have the best of intentions, and yet we're really making life hard for our kids, even though that's the opposite of what we're trying to do. And it's a hard lesson, you know, especially for a parent who's really, um, I, I was really overprotective. I was really nervous. I guess it's part of that anxiety that I have, that I just wanted to keep them from harm. and. And I had to figure out as they were getting older, like, wait a minute, I, they don't think they can do anything themselves now because it was easier for me to do it or because I wanted to protect them and and I had to really undo a lot of things. And so for parents of younger kids, you've got to let them figure things out on their own sometimes and they might have to fall, you know, as long as there's not life and limit risk, you know, safety is always safety. But beyond that, we really have to let them figure it out and let them figure out that they can do it and they can be okay even if they fail at something or even if they stumble, that they're still going to be able to get back up and go on and it's going to be okay. 
Um, one thing that I have have done for a few years now that I learned to do was really to be open about my own issues, my own um, discomforts and what happened. You know, when I did speak to that much bigger audience a few years ago and force myself to do it, I was very open with my kids about it. We talked about it a lot. You know, I'm really so nervous. I'm not sure I can do this. I think I'm going to be sick. Like, you know, and, and all that was very true. Like I was really struggling with having committed to it and the, and the audience size doubled after I had committed <laughs> to it. So I was really freaking out. And then yeah. after it was over and I came home and I was like, look, I didn't die. I didn't have to go to the hospital. I was totally okay. And it actually went well. Yeah. And now I know I can do this. And then when I took another sort of speaking gig that was of a similar size, I'm like, look, I'm doing it again and I'm feeling good about it this time. You know, really just being very open and human with our kids, I think goes such a long way. And and it wouldn't and it wouldn't be the end of the world if it turns out that public speaking is not your thing. Right. Do you right. know what I mean? Because you will you will when have you learned have that, that conversation. And you can kind of if you're you know, if you do enough of these things, you can start you can laugh at yourself a little bit about going, Oh god, I'm horrible at that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but right. I gave it a, but I gave it a try. And I tried it. Never. It's not my thing, and I'm gonna move on. And that's yeah, because 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 something I talk about this with um I was talking to my nephew about this. Um, because he's in his early twenties and like trying to make job choices and other stuff and, and and he doesn't know if something's the right choice or not. And I go, Well, even if it doesn't work out, doesn't mean it was the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. Right, because a lot of times, like people have anxiety about switching. Like, should I switch my job or not? I always think the answer is almost always yes, because um, you need to see different things. But um, if you switch and it doesn't work out, it doesn't mean that that the decision to switch was a wrong decision. It just means it didn't work out. Right, and we learn by making mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, that's just human nature. We all make mistakes, and I think we often put on this front of sort of perfection for our kids. And that's actually detrimental to them because they feel like, wow, I'm I'm really struggling with all this stuff and I'm supposed to be this adult who doesn't struggle. We all struggle. Everyone struggles in some way or another. And it's really important for us to show that to our kids. Yeah. And there's, a, there's this whole, um, in the Total Transformation Parenting Program that we have, one of the early sections is what we call ineffective. We sort of point out what are we don't never talk about good and bad parents because because we don't think there's like it's not people aren't bad parents. It's just that some things are more effective than others. So we're trying to point mm-hmm. out what's effective and not effective. And some of the uh, there's a whole section on the uh, ineffective parenting roles, and yeah. they have they have names like the martyr, the savior, the over negotiator, <laughs> and the martyr and the savior are the they always save their kid. Like if their kid's about to yep. fail, they go and they talk to the teacher and they get the teacher to give them a passing grade. Um, or that's that's the that's the savior. They come in and they always save their kid from from whatever the consequence, what natural consequence of their action would have been. And then the martyr is the one who actually does the homework for the kid. Mm, <laughs> yeah, right. Because because they're maybe they're convinced the school actually would fail them if they didn't even even if they went in and talked to them. And now they're like, well, I'm going to do the homework for them because they can't have a bad grade. Mm, um, yeah, and I don't know. It's I you know we we would argue that a bad grade's not as bad as the less than the your kids learn if you're doing your work, their work for them. Oh yeah. I wish I had let my son stumble more earlier on in high school and I didn't. I was too protective still at that time. And so once we got to senior year, which he just graduated in January, it was brutal. <laughs> it was brutal to get him done. And part of that was just his experience in school has been 
really traumatic, honestly, for 12 years with ADHD and autism spectrum and learning disabilities and a high IQ. Like he, he was just so misunderstood and expectations were never really doable for him a lot of times. And so they really taught him to give up on it, unfortunately. But yeah, I wish that I had stepped back more. You know, I knew he needed help and I knew the school wasn't providing what he needed or the level that he needed. And so I was really taking on that role of filling in the gaps and and it wasn't it wasn't the best lesson for him really but you know that's hindsight and we can't do anything about that but we're definitely it's always you know, hard to know I mean yeah yeah it is hard to know and it in the way he was already starting to sort of give up on school yeah I, I worried that that was just gonna you know seal that deal and and we were really gonna have a worse time you know you just don't know and you can look back and go well you know I should have maybe done this instead but maybe. If I had done that, it would have been worse. Like, I still don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, the, and parents get really stuck in that place trying to figure out what's the right thing to do. We, we decided to homeschool our kids at about like sixth or seventh grade. Not, not for any particular reason other than um, the company I was at. We had like, this was back in 2012 and we had remote workforce anyway. Like we built a company mm-hmm. that way. So would, it offered a lot of flexibility and we just thought it would be kind of fun. So yeah. Um, so we did homeschooling and, and they just graduated and they're off to college now. but. People are like, are you glad you did it? And I, I'm always like, I think it was good. Like we were happy with it. And I think the kids were happy, but I don't know what the alternative would have been. Maybe they would have been way better if they went to a public school. Maybe they would have had, you know, a much better experience. They used to do a lot of theater before we started homeschooling, but there's not much, you know, actually we could have gotten them into theater. They probably wouldn't have stayed with theater. But but my point is that you don't really know what would have happened in the other otherwise. So mm-hmm. it's hard to it's always hard to to know. But it's good to to look back on what you've been doing and say, could I have been more effective? Is there and and moving forward, what are the what are the better things? And one of the things we found in in our um, when we work with parents is that it doesn't matter when you start. Like, you better start early, but it's not too late. It's never it's never too never late too to start late. doing the the effective stuff. And you see amazing mm-hmm. turnarounds of of kids and 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 parents um, who were in a really bad place, and they start recognizing the things that are ineffective and are not working and you put more effective things in place and you stick with it and make, you know, and you assess, is this working? Is it not working? But just because it doesn't work the first time doesn't mean you're not doing the right thing, right? Right. It could be that you're doing the right thing and you just need someone to say, yeah, just keep at it. Let's, let's see how this works in three, four five weeks. Let's not judge it just on the first time. And you put these things in place and things, you know, you just see, there's a lot of amazing stories out there. Because change does happen. Oh, absolutely. Course, the question is, it's the question is not, you know, is change possible? It's always the question is, how does change happen, and what makes it happen? Because it's it's always possible. But that's great for everyone. People listening to these podcasts, there's so much information out there these days on this, where you can you can learn from the experiences, you know, the stuff that you're doing. People learn from these experiences by listening to this. You know, there's someone whose child is in sixth or seventh grade, and they're having the same issues, and they're like, huh, and they might be trying something differently or. You know what I mean? So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And for kids with ADHD, you know, that trying things and then giving up too soon, you know, with ADHD and shifting our parenting, typically it takes longer. You know, we need to stick with things that we haven't seen results with yet for a longer amount of time to really see results. I think that change happens more slowly often with our kids with neurological differences. But yeah, um, I'm constantly coaching parents on that, you know, 
don't give up on this too soon. You're not going to see any change right away. You have <laughs> to keep going. Like, I know this works. You just have to stick with it. And, you know, that can be really challenging for a parent. And then on the flip side, it's also hard to change what you're doing if it's what you've always been doing, even if it's not working, right? Like, yeah. parents are like, I keep telling, you know, I keep on the same. I'm so consistent. Why isn't it working? Well, because that doesn't work for your kid. Like, it's time to change if it's right. Not you working. have to, at some point, if it's not working, you have to you change things. Yeah. You have to do that. And, no, and different things work for kids with ADHD. You know, there's a lot of parenting approaches that work really well for neurotypical kids that don't work for kids with ADHD. And so figuring that out is, is sometimes a tough battle, too. But I think the biggest piece, especially because our kids avoid discomfort because they're more, you know, they're more likely to do that is to start offering them independence, doing things on their own as early as possible. You know, I was definitely the parent who was like, it was just faster and easier for me to do it myself. You know, instead of had my have my kid butter his toast and mutilate it and get butter everywhere, I would just do it for him. Or he didn't that I didn't teach him how to do it himself. I didn't you know, and I didn't give him that confidence that he can. So often we're giving the message that we don't think our kids can do it. That's what they're receiving yep. from us doing it for them. And of course, we don't want to send that message to our kids. So we send it and because we're focused on behavior stuff and it happens in, in more subtle ways also is that when you don't hold your child accountable, especially if your child has a diagnosis, if you don't hold them accountable for behavior they start to think that the reason and every and but everyone else is being held accountable but that they're they're being singled out as different they start to think they're defective in some way like oh i'm not even held accountable they must have lost hope in me <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah. cuz there's some there's some of that stuff going on as well so absolutely absolutely anything else you wanted to make sure we talk about before we wrap up um well, you're reminding me of a whole bunch of stuff. I feel like we could go. <laughs> I know we could but, talk for days about this. Yeah, stuff. but you know, we always we have this concept in our programs of start from where your child is and move forward. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, you may want your child functioning at a certain level, but they're not there yet, and you want to challenge them. But start from where they are, and then incrementally move the challenges up. Um, and then the other the other thing that we say all the time is, parent the child you have, not the one you wish you had. Yes, your child has challenges. You need to adjust your parenting for the child that you have, not the child that you envisioned that you were going to have before you had kids and and everything yes. else. Like your the reality is always a little messier than than what you might have thought it might be. So nothing could be truer for neuroatypical kids and raising them. You have to parent the kid that you have. You have to throw out those neurotypical expectations and adjust. Yeah, and I love that you said start with with where they're at. That's really important to you for our audience because. ADHD is a developmental disorder. So if my kid's 15, maybe his functioning in some ways is 12 or 13. So if I have 15-year-old expectations there, he's never going to be able to succeed. And all that does is cause friction and arguments and damages your relationship. And I could go on. But yeah, it, we really have to be very mindful of that. And then one more related thing that, that we put in there is that if, if there's a lot of issues you're dealing with, a lot of times you just have to pick one and start with that one and see if you can get that one better. Yeah. If you try to take care of everything at once, it just it might be overwhelming. So, you know, find it some, dilutes your efforts. Yeah. Yeah. Find some success on some particular issue that's, that's a problem and see if you can get them working on that one and getting that one better. And then you can use that as an example for the other ones as well. 
Mm-hmm. See, well, this made you really uncomfortable, but you did it. And yeah. you, it went <laughs> exactly. great. I mean, yeah, we have to use those things. Sure. We have to remind them, you know, and again, it goes back to the way that their brains are wired. We have to remind them that that went okay and and that other things can go okay too. And they just have to show that to their brain. They have to show their brain, prove to their fear and their worry brain that they can do it. Such important stuff. So many things that we've touched on that are so important. And I think we've really given parents a lot to think about here and a lot to tackle. And and we should probably close with a reminder that tackle one thing, one thing at a time. Yeah, one thing at a patient. time. <laughs> and, you know, you can't change it all in a day. It just isn't going to happen. Thank you so much for for being here and sharing some of your time with us. For everybody listening, you can go to the show notes and get links to any resources that we've mentioned, as well as links to Empowering Parents and the Total Transformation Program and some other things so that you can connect with the work that they're doing. And so many great articles, too, on your website. There's tons of resources and information there, too. So I encourage everyone to go and check that out. The show notes are at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 122 for episode 122. And with that, we'll end the episode. I'll see everyone next time. Thanks for joining me on the Parenting ADHD podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses, parent coaching, and mama retreats at parentingadhdandautism.com. Thank you.